Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a podcast in which I get someone who is smarter and harder working than I am to teach me about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton. I'm assistant director with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, and I am joined this week by Rini Miles. Hey, Rini, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I am also good, uh, good-ish, uh, I would say. Um- and I just wanted to throw out my bad joke is that I'm a longtime listener, first time co-host. There we go. Longtime listener, first time co-host, but always with us in spirit, Rini Miles. Yeah, no, I'm doing okay, Rini. It's starting to get to me. I'll be honest. We're in, I don't even know what week. I think week uh, 724 of the lockdown. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah. Just, I know. Just yeah. Even for introverts, it takes its toll. It does. It does. I never knew how extroverted I was until. <laughs> yeah. And so we've talked uh, on past episodes, as you know, as a longtime listener, first-time co-host, we've talked with a couple of experts on, you know, uh, sort of the safety of going outside. Is it safe to do? Is it socially responsible to do? Uh, and how to do it in a way that is safe and socially responsible. But but I think there's more to the story of why we might want to do it. You know, because I think. Uh, Everybody's feeling stir crazy. Everybody's uh, feeling cooped up. And so I wanted to talk uh, about that in detail. And and fortunately, you have a friend, you know, somebody who is an expert in this. I do. I do. Yes. An old friend. An old friend. I mean, she's not old, but she's been your friend for a long time. (laughs) Anyway, and so we're, we're excited to have our guest. Our guest today is uh, Dr. Ming Kuo. She's the head of the Landscape and Human Health Lab, uh, where she studies on the connection between natural features, not natural feces, that's a different lab, uh, natural features and human and physical and mental health. And so let's uh, kick on the interstitial music, and then we will bring in our guest. Ming Kuo, thank you so much for joining us on Teach Me About the Great Lakes. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Oh, we're thrilled. So I'm really interested in the work that you do, but let's start really big picture. So you research the connection between people and nature and how that helps people be physically and mentally more healthy. How did you, uh, how did you get into that kind of a field? What made you want to study that? Well, um, the kind of funny thing here is that I'm not a, I wasn't a nature lover who was sort of determined to show <laughs> how good nature is. I was interested in the dark side of the physical environment how crowded or noisy or difficult settings, challenging settings made us, uh, debilitated us or affected our emotions. And I, I actually studied the inner city of Chicago for a while with the, with the secret aim of studying <laughs> all the evil things. And, uh, but I got the money from the Forest Service. And uh, sure enough, it turned out to my complete surprise, or not, not complete, but very large surprise that um, the amount of greenery around Chicago public housing apartment buildings really made kind of huge differences in many different ways. So I've just been kind of following that up my yeah. whole career. No kidding. So like what kind of, what, what do you, so you were, you were studying in the inner city and you sort of did some sort of measurements of like how much green space there was. I don't know. You counted trees or parks or, right. or something. Right. And then what kind of differences did you find there? Oh, gosh, there's a whole range. So I guess uh, there's a whole series of effects I would talk about, I would describe as individual functioning. And then there's also neighborhood health and functioning. So on the individual level, people were coping better. They were dealing with 
big challenges and decisions in their lives in a more effective way. Um, they were they had better impulse control. They had better cognitive functioning, so they were able to concentrate better. Um, they were getting along with their neighbors, which mm-hmm. kind of leads into the sort of neighborhood level effects we're seeing, um, or we saw people getting along better, less aggression, less violence, um, both by residents' sort of own reporting of what they did <laughs> and also crime statistics. Um, so, so we saw sort of healthier, safer, stronger neighborhoods um, wherever we had more, more greenery. And, and because it's public housing, everyone is, everyone is poor and people are right. randomly assigned to different buildings. Oh, right. So it actually was a really good study system then, right? Because you had uh, sort of natural controls, I guess. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. I mean, for, for a scientist, <laughs> Chicago public housing is kind of made to order. Uh, maybe only for a scientist. Yeah, um, yeah still, that's, that's, still, that's really fascinating. So you're saying that just the presence of green air when you controlled for other things or green space just made a, a really wide-ranging difference in terms of uh, individual and neighborhood-level outcomes. Yeah. Huh. That is fascinating in and of itself. Yeah. And Ming, can you talk about um, more generally what you've found since then in terms of the benefits of being in a, um, a natural environment for people? Uh, I think two of the main themes have been um, academic achievement is, or, well, three, sorry. <laughs> I'm sure if I keep thinking about it, I'll come up with more themes. <laughs> but, uh, academic achievement, we seem to be, we have very consistent patterns of greener schools having higher academic achievement, even after you take into account poverty and um, other kinds of things, race, bilingual status. Um, and furthermore, those schools that get greened show a bump in academic achievement shortly thereafter. And then that bump sort of continues each year after the, after the, the greening happens. So we've got academic achievement. We've got uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder symptoms seem to be systematically reduced after kids have had a little bit of green time. Um, and that's not just true for the hyperactive ones. Who probably you know just they're they're going to have a reduction in ADHD symptoms just because they got to be physically active, but your attention deficit kids who don't have hyperactivity they show the same same benefits. Oh right. Um, and finally, I'm I'm starting to look at physical health outcomes. Even with kids, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot because I have, uh, oh God, I have three now. I have three kids at home and we've been cooped up with, uh, with uh, you know, the social distancing stuff and, and on the days and the weather's been crap. Like, you know, it's the Midwest. The weather is crap this time of year, but it's getting better. And, and on the days where we can go outside, I think I see that difference and part of it's energy, but we have, we have a basement where they can run around and stuff. And I think, I think I can see that nature exposure making a difference. Like even on that short time scale, uh, does, does, that pass the sniff test for you, I guess? Can it be like on that short of a time scale or is it more because of a repeated exposure over time? Uh, no, actually, or yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, does, it, does pass the, it does pass the sniff test. Uh, and uh, kind of that's one of the great things about studying the effects of nature on people is it turns out to be hugely powerful and fast. And so, you know, for a scientist, it's really nice when you run studies and they keep coming up the way you expect. 
Um, so even when you give people little tiny doses of nature, so five minutes of playing with soil will substantially reduce or change your serotonin um, or the smell of roses for five minutes or um, the smell of uh, other phytoncides. Uh, the phytoncides are these, uh, or the, the scents that give off that are given off by various um, like pine and um, lavender. There's, you know, we can actually watch your physiology. We spritz you with a little pine scent and voila, we watch your heart rate decrease and um, just all your indicators look better. Holy mackerel. So Ming, can you talk a little bit about um, us being in this uh, COVID crisis and what some, some benefits might be related to what's going on with us? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really glad to talk about that because I've been thinking about the effects of, uh, I'm, I'm going to call it crisis, virus crisis syndrome. Virus crisis syndrome. VCS, I guess. VCS, um, virus crisis syndrome are the effects of being in the crisis, not the effects of the crisis, sorry, the virus itself. So just sort of living through this pandemic, even aside from, even if you're completely well, right? So I, there are a whole bunch of effects, and any given listener may experience some or some or none of them. But some things that you may be uh, experiencing are, first of all, just a kind of mental fog, or or what I call the the curly symptom. Um, if you remember the Three Stooges, Curly would sometimes say, "I'm I'm trying to think, and nothing happens." Uh, <laughs> uh, so some of us are finding that that's <laughs> that's almost become a way of life. You know, we're having trouble making decisions. We can't solve problems the way we normally can. We can't do mental work the way we, or, or it's harder, or we can just only do it for a little while before we have to take a break, or we just, our mind just kind of wanders off into some other topic. Wait, um, you've been but, watching me, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just, this is just self-report here. <laughs> um, another cognitive effect uh, that, that's likely is what I call the hamster wheel of rumination. <laughs> is when uh, when your bright when your brain gets hold of some worry like oh am I going to lose my job or oh my my mom's in a nursing home and is she going to be abandoned or you know God knows what terrible scenarios we can come up with and we just the brain just like hangs onto them and chews on them and runs on that hamster wheel thinking the same thing over and over which is really miserable and not really very productive right it doesn't. If all you do is worry the same thing, you're not actually you're not doing anything to improve the situation. You're just sort of marinating in that terrible state. Yeah, I boy, that one hits home. Like lately, since this whole thing started, I've slept past three thirty one time. I think, and it's just that same thing. It's and I'm even I'm so unbelievably lucky. I have a steady job at least for now. Uh, you know, and and I we live in an inexpensive place to live. We're all healthy at least for now. But but it, it's like. Just you wake up and it's the same thoughts over and over and over in your brain. And, so, and, and it compounds itself, frankly. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. The hamster wheel of rumination is, is my bane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, so, and then on, a, on the emotional side, um, we may be feeling just sort of a general consistent tension uh, as we're walking around or we may feel really sad or we may be we may be becoming Krabby McCrabberson, you know, where the slightest thing kind of sets off sets us off. Or we we snap when 
people do things that would normally, you know, we would just like ride them out. But but now we're like, ah. <laughs> right? yeah. Um, yeah. So I think we lose a certain amount of um, emotional resilience when we're under kind of chronic levels of, of threat and uncertainty. And that, that's another thing that nature has the potential to affect. Uh, and if I can go on, on and on. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are behavioral effects. Something that I've actually seen on my Facebook feed is stress eating. This is a known phenomenon. If you put, if you put biological organisms under uh, chronic stress, they will not only will they eat more, they will eat in a different pattern. They seek out high calorie foods and they, <laughs> they stuff them in. And not only that, but their fat cells work harder at um, storing that, that energy. And the idea is, this is actually very smart of the body because the body knows, okay, if things are coming down the pipe that I'm going to need to have energy and resources to deal with, then I better grab whatever I can that's available and I better save it, right? Instead of working it off, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to squirrel it away for a rainy day. Yeah, that makes me think, and maybe maybe this is outside of your expertise, but what is kind of the role of evolution here, right? I mean, I assume that these are adaptations, maybe some of these syndromes anyway, are adaptations we have for dealing with, with uh, uh, you know, life on the savanna or whatever um, that are right. now not helping us as much. Is that, are, are, are these like just adaptations that don't work anymore? Is there an evolutionary component? Well, I think the stress eating is normally an adaptive thing. Um, it's, it works more for acute stresses, right? Um, but if you just sort of live like this for weeks of <laughs> weeks of medium level uh, constant anxiety, then then you're just packing on the pounds, and it's not really it's not really helpful. I think we've we've actually seen a lot of work on poverty and how how stress eating works in poverty. But uh, but right, if uh, even though this is a good short term strategy for the body. In long-term scenarios, it's it's actually counterproductive. It actually is, is bad for us in the end. Hmm. Uh, an- another behavioral effect we may be seeing is kind of a lack of discipline or willpower, um, where we notice. For me, you know, the the addiction gets that gets worse is surfing the web. I just uh, I gotta check, you know, maybe some useful information about COVID nineteen has, has shown up in since the last twenty minutes when I when I last checked. So we may find our our addictions a little bit more unmanageable, um, and just anything that requires willpower may be more difficult or even become sort of out of our out of our range of um what we can do you're making me feel better about myself in terms of how things have gone lately (laughs) because i it's bigger than me (laughs) (laughs) oh definitely right yeah so so i mean as as a psychologist i guess it's a terrible thing to say but i'm kind of i'm kind of delighted to see all these things show up on my feed uh in facebook because this is kind of what our understanding is of what stress does to people. Um, and so it's all kind of happening according to our understanding. And um, maybe one of the, let me, let me relate it to that. Let me turn to two last effects. One is we may be experiencing sleep disruptions. That's also stress related. And unfortunately uh, all of this, the stress, the sleep disruptions, are probably doing kind of a job on our immune functioning, including 
reducing our ability to address viral threats, mm-hmm. which is which is really <laughs> kind of the opposite of what we like right now. That's an unfortunate right? downward, spir- downward spiral to be in. Yeah. 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 And so when we're in a, uh, what we call even a mild fight or flight, or they're calling it flight, fight and freeze these days as well. Uh, when we're in that kind of state, uh, uh, the body shifts resources and it doesn't, it doesn't make long-term resource, uh, long-term investments in your immune system. Okay. It, it, it gears up for immediate threats. And so uh, if we're like walking around as this little ball of stress all the time, then our natural killer cells, which, which are the ones that are, that go out and find viral threats and take care of them, they're actually reduced in number and they're reduced in activity. So all of this stuff is no fun to be in, this virus crisis syndrome. Um, but the good news is we have, we have a potential cure, a lot of us, um, right outside our door. There we go. And, and so, yeah, you're taking us right to the topic for the day. Well, well segued. Uh, maybe you should post the show. Uh, but, but so, so, but what I'm hearing, and let's move to that. But what I'm hearing just is, is like, there's all these different effects and these effects to you as a psych- psychologist are predictable, right? You, I mean, you would have guessed yeah. that this is what's going to happen and, and you're seeing it's happen, but yeah. you also, based on your past research, you, you found that there are some, I don't want to say the term solution, but some uh, things that might help. Is that, is that right? And, and that's, that's yeah. where going outdoors may, maybe comes in. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, sh- I want to preface this by saying you don't actually have to literally go outdoors. Even, um, even a view of if you have a kind of green street to look at from your window or, um, um, I don't know, a magnolia tree. I have a magnolia tree. My neighbors have a magnolia tree, which is starting to bloom. And I can see that from my, my home office area. So all of that has an impact bizarrely enough, even I think the shortest time amount of time people have shown is, is in the order of seconds, like a, like just a 17 second view of nature has measurable effects. Um, and that was, that was even a simulated, huh. <laughs> it wasn't even a real view of nature. It was a simulated view of nature. Um, so the tiniest, even the tiniest doses make a difference and it doesn't have to be, you know, Sherwood forest or the grand Canyon, um, even any little bit of nature that makes you feel better. If you feel better, then that's probably enough that it's going to have many of these other effects. And so um, why do you think that nature has such an effect on us? Uh, Well, there are actually a whole variety of um, ways it does. I guess the, one of the main ones is if you think about this fight, flight, freeze response, uh, one of the, Best doc is sort is that have been actually been tremendously well documented, and we kind of need to stop doing studies on this because we just have been showing the same thing over and over. But we what we totally, absolutely, positively know is that nature is good for stress reduction. It helps us not only go from fight, flight, freeze to our normal baseline levels of whatever stress slash relaxation, but it actually moves us past that normal state into a kind of rosy, calm, happy, truly relaxed state. Um, so 
And when you're in that truly relaxed state, that's when, that's when the body starts to make different decisions about, you know, okay. It's like, okay, if I feel like this, I must be, I must be truly safe and I can afford to make long-term investments in immune system functioning and, and, and other things. So the immune system turns out to be obviously kind of a big deal in health. And if we're in that deeply relaxed state, then that's when we make these particular investments in immune, long-term immune functioning, which obviously has a whole variety of benefits for our, for our physical and mental health. And so when you're saying investments there, you're talking about like these sort of subconscious processes that your body does, whether or not you want it to. Is that, is that what you mean by investments there? Yes. Right. Okay. It's so the, so depending on our investments of, is a triggering topic right now. It's <laughs> just in general. But, uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, this is right. These are all decisions the body makes, whether you would like it to or not, whether it's actually adaptive for your situation or not. This is sort of the programming that's built in. Okay. Um, because generally speaking, if we were, if we were about to be uh, attacked by a lion, then that was not the time to make, long-term investments of our resources, uh, our body should take whatever energy it has and it should put it into running or fighting, right? Not, not boosting our immune backup system. So even, even the small time in nature you're saying might, might be able to, or a small time experiencing nature might be able to help this. So, so like eating lunch outside maybe, or, or eating lunch if you have a porch uh, you know, even just that kind of exposure, which is, I mean, going to be very safe in the terms of viral spread, right? right. Especially if you're in a backyard or, or a porch where there aren't other people. But you're saying that even that can make a positive difference in terms of people's well-being in a way that, that uh, in this sort of subconscious way. Is that is that right? Right, right. So um, a view of some greenery, a walk, uh, a lunch, lunch on a porch, a walk in a green a tree-lined neighborhood makes makes a real difference. And then, you know, if you can get a little further out to something that's sort of um, mostly natural, like so in on our campus, we have the Japan house area. Uh, there's a lot of walking paths there. And if you are careful about maintaining, you know, the six-foot distance, you can really get away from things. I mean, mentally, you can feel like you have gotten away from your concerns. You can stop the hamster wheel of rumination. <laughs> you can achieve, uh, you know, just a lightness and a calmness of mood. That's, that's really quite striking. Um, and you will probably most likely return afterwards to find that you're now able to function and focus in a way that maybe you weren't able to before that walk. Yeah, that's really great. And for those of you who haven't listened to our last uh, couple of episodes, we've um, recently had an epidemiologist from the University of Illinois, uh, Chicago, Dr. Ron Hershow, and an ER doctor um, who is also an epidemiologist, Frank uh, Zadjurovic, uh, talk about you know going outside and how to do so both safely and responsibly. And I think they both agree that you can go outside safely and responsibly. Uh, responsibly excuse me. Um, and it sounds like you're saying there's just a ton of benefits uh, from that. Right, right. Yeah. So every, every, every description, every <laughs> symptom of virus crisis syndrome that I, that I mentioned, the hamster wheel of rumination, the mental fog, uh, the emotional resilience, the irritability, stress eating, 
lack of discipline or willpower. I feel like you're just running down my list here. That's like yeah. <laughs> every single one of those is something we have experimentally shown to improve when we have some kind of contact with nature. So, so having been steeped in this all this time, um, how how do you incorporate it into your life? Are you do you think about it as you're as you're out and about in in natural environments, or do you kind of just let yourself go? Or um... well, uh, one thing I did was <laughs> one thing I did was um, I combined my 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 shopping trip with, uh, or I did my my shopping trip one week at um, the local farm and ag store, and I bought eight baby chicks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, is that what we hear in the background I, there? I discovered that is a tremendous. Um, you cannot all your troubles just fly out the window when you are looking at baby chicks. Oh well, tell them hello. <laughs> but so you got baby <laughs> chicks, and that's one way that you're trying to just incorporate more natural world into your your life. Are there are there yeah. others that that maybe you're doing that you could share? Oh yeah, I'm definitely taking walks. I um, I make sure to look up. I mean my. My desk doesn't face the window, but um, if you can turn your desk to face the window, that's a great idea. Um, I just make a make a point of turn around and looking looking out the back door or the, the back window. Um, yeah, taking walks is a really good thing because the the physical activity of walking is another great stress buster. So um, combining that with doing a walk in a relatively green area. Um, means you're you're kind of kind of maximizing the, the possible dose of um, stress reduction. One one other thing, I, I haven't managed to do this myself because I've been just trying to stay close to home. But if you do have some place that um, near you that feels really away, that maybe gives you a sense of awe or or even um, perspective, that's another great way to sort of get out of your own head where you're sort of, Oh, what's going to happen to me? This I'm worried about this. When you're, when you're in that sort of self-focused, uh, worrying about the same things over and over again, getting out to where it's not human dominated nature. Um, it's really nature, nature, then that, that can be really powerful in terms of helping that, helping you stop. Um, because it's like, Oh, look at this place that, (laughs) It doesn't, it's fine. It doesn't care whether I live or die or this happens or the other thing. And there's something nice about being in a larger context like that, that reminds you, you know what, there is a larger world out there and there are good things that are happening. And maybe just sitting in this, stewing in these worries is not particularly necessary or helpful. Sometimes, um, I was just to say that sometimes the stars are that for me. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. It just occurred to me that that's something totally missing from my life right now is a sense of awe. That's something that's been taken, you know, uh, or that's much harder to get. And and you're right. I'm going to think through how uh, how to how to get that again because it's been a while at this point, and uh, I think it's well. Think well, one thing. I mean, I think Rini's idea of, of the stars seems like a great a great example and close to home. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But another thing you can do is it's possible, obviously, you know, the classic uh, stimuli that cause awe are, you know, the magnificent scenery, the, the Grand Canyon or, 
or being in the redwoods. But you can experience awe if you just sort of take the time to look at something that's small and beautiful and, and at hand. If you if you allow yourself to get into it enough and really notice how beautifully this thing is put together and how how delicate the petals of this flower are, you know, you can actually generate awe just by spending a little more time with something that you might ordinarily just kind of glance glance over and and not register. Yeah, I hear you. What's a challenge? It's such a, a darn challenge right now, though, because all those things you're talking about, they pull you out of the moment, right? And and so you're saying it's almost right. we could get really woo-woo real quick here, but like you you know, it's like what you're saying is immerse yourself in the moment of this, this sort of beauty on the micro scale. But as soon mm-hmm. as you start to do that right now, your brain is going to want to pull you out because of the VCS. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a frustrating situation. Uh, I don't know. I think you, the more chances you give your yourself to do that, the better it gets at it. Um, meditation. I understand that I'm not, I'm not being brought on here to talk about meditation, but empirically meditation has a lot of the effects and so if you were to, say, combine a certain amount of meditation and nature walks, all of it will kind of um, interact. So the, the meditation will help you be able to, to get off the hamster wheel when you're in nature. And then having done that, it'll, the, the time in nature will help you stay on a kind of stable and good state when you get, get indoors. I know you're not that kind of doctor, but that sounds like a good prescription to me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was just going to say thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, no, it really does. And and that's wonderful. Your perspective, uh, you know, based on uh, all of the, the research that you've done is fascinating. And I think, I think really healthy. But the real reason we have you on is for these next two questions. Um, oh. Yeah. And so that is, if you could have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, but only one, which would you pick? Oh my God. It's the sandwich. The sandwich. <laughs> Everybody no, no, picks no. a sandwich. We're going to have to change the question up, but, but the real reason I want to know is you, you live in Urbana, right? Or Champagne. Yep. Urbana. Where can I go in Urbana Champagne to get a great sandwich? Oh gosh. I don't know. Lots of places. Um, I guess the one I do is the common ground co-op cause it's near me. Common ground co-op done and done. And then the last question we'd like to wrap up with is, um, and I feel like actually this whole podcast has been life advice to tell you the truth, but if you had one piece of life advice for our listeners, it could be big, it could be small, it could be serious, it could be silly. Um, you know, but if you have one piece of life advice to share based on your experience, what would that be? Can I give you two? <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> Never settle on the first offer. All right. Because I, I was, was going to say, wash your hands, you animal. <laughs> but, but the other one is uh, the psychology behind the effects of nature tell us that when we, when we are kind to, to ourselves, when we put ourselves in the situations where we feel truly calm and relaxed and, and sort of serene and happy, that state of mind is profoundly important for our not only mental health, but our physical health. And so whatever it is for you, maybe it's knitting or walking or meditation, or maybe it's quiet time with friends and family, whatever puts you in that state is probably something you should um, make a point of doing, not just because it's nice, but because you know that it's functional. It's, it's crucial to our functioning and our survival as human beings to spend a certain amount of time in that (laughs) 
life is good or life is okay kind of state. Great. Well, uh, is there a place where people can go to learn more about your work? Is there a website or a social media feed or something like that? Uh, I think you can, if you type in KUO, which is my last name, and nature and health, that's that works pretty well. Um, or I have a TED Talk somewhere on the web. I'll tell you <laughs> so what, we'll, uh, we'll put a link to the TED, co- TED Talk in our uh, show notes at teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com. Or if you're doing this on a phone or whatever, it'll be in the show notes right there in your podcast player. So you can uh, hit it there and go listen to some more of what, what you had to say. Uh, oh, there's also a, there's a hidden brain interview. A hidden brain interview. Well, if it's yeah. hidden, we'll definitely have to link it in the show notes. <laughs> We're starting to punch you, kids. Uh, <laughs> all right. Dr. Ming Kuo of the uh, Human uh, – I'm sorry, Landscape and Human Health Lab at the University of Illinois. Thank you so much for coming on and teaching us about the Great Lakes. Thank you so much. There was a lot to think about there, and so I really appreciate Ming coming on. Uh, just a, a whole lot. And it, it shows the insidious nature, I think, of uh, of this whole situation, right? Yes, all the ways that we're overwhelmed, right? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's just like, it's like one of, it's the eating our own tail in terms of the physical and the mental affecting each other. Uh, and the subconscious, like, uh, we are not our own friends right now, cooped up, I think is really what it is. Right. And for me, it was check, 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 when she listed all the... Yeah, it was getting alarming. All the ways. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first one's like, oh, that's interesting. Second one's kind of funny. And then by like the 12th one, we were like, mm. I have a problem. Yeah. I've got <laughs> issues. Well, anyway, Rini, what is something you learned about the Great Lakes today? Um, so um, I learned that having some contact with nature that's beneficial can happen in just a matter of seconds um, that we can, if we can relax as we glance at something and kind of get lost in it for just a moment, it, um, it makes a difference. Yeah. And I learned that uh, my life and it hadn't occurred to me, but it makes so much sense. It's really stuck with me for the last several minutes. It's just missing beauty and awe. And, and those are things that I think are so important, that reminder that we're connected to something larger, right? And, and nature is a good place to find that, but boy, has it been missing. So that I think I'm going to take that and, and ruminate on that over the weekend and, and see what we can do. Well, Rini, uh, I encourage people to follow us on social media. Since Hope's not here, I'm going to totally get this right. You should go to the Twitter and do I-L-I-N-C-Gram is where you can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can also do the buoys on Twitter at uh, two yellow buoys that's spelled out T W O yellow buoys. They're a fun follow. And you should also go check us out at uh, www.teachthegreatlakes.com to listen to old episodes, uh, find out more about, you know, the benefits of nature or how to go out in nature in a way that's healthy and safe. Uh, and you should do the likes and the subscribes and the reviews and all stuff like that. And uh, with that, we'll talk to you next month, if not next week. Thank you for listening and keep grading those lakes. Beep, 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 beep.